Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast Number Two. Another crappy podcast production. Hi, my name's Alan, and I love Disney. Disgruntled Two. There are now over 1,500 downloaders of this podcast. To all of you Disney dweebs out there, welcome to your place to vent. There are two things I know to be true. Number one, people are more likely to spend money on things they like than on things they dislike. Number two, once someone finds something they like, they're more likely to buy it again. And number three, too much of a good thing can be bad. Now, it's good business sense to produce things your customers like. In some cases, lesser-liked things may make more sense simply because they make more profit. I believe this is why that burger franchise down the street sells hamburgers instead of steak. People who love steak may still buy more hamburgers because they're cheaper or more convenient. And certainly more people can afford a $1 cheeseburger than a $20 sirloin steak. There are always better products, but some people will always buy a cheap hamburger over a fine-aged beefsteak dinner, and there's certainly a reason for high-end steakhouses to exist just down the road from that local drive through fast food place with the dollar menu. But just because you sell more beef in the form of a fried hamburger than the steak place sells flame-grilled T-bones, that doesn't mean the burger joint is the better restaurant. Regardless, there will always be people lined up at the local McBurger place every day during the lunch rush, just like there will probably always be a two-hour wait to get a table at the local steak place on a Friday night. Well, at least until the next outbreak of mad cow disease. But I digress. The point is, selling billions and billions of something doesn't mean it's a better product. It just means there are enough people out there who either don't care about or don't know about anything better. I, for example, am a waste of really good wine. I'm much happier with a bottle of cheap stuff, and though my taste buds may send a wine master into rehab, I'm pretty much happy taking home a cheap burger and unscrewing a bottle of $6 strawberry white Zinfandel. And I think that's the problem. Although some of us really, really love the taste of a big burger from the drive-thru, those places are everywhere, and other than providing a cheap, fast comfort food, they aren't anything special. And the cheap wine? Well, would anyone pay to attend a wine-tasting class or be part of a food and wine festival if the products were the same as the cheap stuff you could find at your local grocery store in Des Moines, Iowa? At this point, you may be thinking this is all about Disney putting McDonald's fast food places in their theme parks, but it's not. The decision to do so, however independent from the real subject of this episode, probably came in from the same way of thinking, which is this. A lot of people will buy a familiar brand over an unfamiliar one. It's pretty much that simple, even when it comes to animated features. In the 1930s, Walt Disney created the first full-length cartoon, Snow White. In the years that followed, many other traditional storybook tells returned into big-screen animated productions. And today, we consider these films to be classics. Their timeless quality allows them to live through the generations as Disney would re-release them to theaters and a new generation would get to see them time and time again. And this worked quite well, right up until the invention of home video. As Disney embraced the concept of selling VHS and Betamax copies of their classic movies, they also found out that they could make money on less classic films that would never justify a theatrical re-release. 
No longer was it a once in a, or twice in a lifetime experience to catch a screening of The Jungle Book. Instead, it could be a once a day experience as the movie was played on a TV set in the kitchen for the kids to see as they ate breakfast before catching the bus to school. Suddenly, a new income stream was created, but the specialness, if, if that's even a word, the specialness of the product was lessened. And those like me now get kind of bummed realizing the odds of ever seeing certain Disney classics up on the big screen during a re-release are pretty much non-existent, except for some limited re-releases of restored versions of legendary classics on significant release date anniversaries. Still, Disney kept some specialness by placing films in moratorium. That's when a movie is pulled from the shelves and no longer sold until it gets re-re-re-released a few years down the line. I guess after all those VHS copies of The Jungle Book wore out, people would be ready to buy replacement ones. And of course, new copies in a new format when it gets re-released on uh, DVD for the first time. And possibly again in a special edition version, or anniversary edition, or limited edition with a special lithograph. And I'm sure all of this will happen once again with the upcoming high-definition DVD versions of the same films that some of us may have already bought a number of times. Speaking of, if you're annoyed at having to rebuy the same Disney movie over and over again, let me know about it by calling my voice mailbox at 206-3090-227. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Now, moratorium works great on paper, but I've personally been able to buy out-of-print Disney DVDs, still new and shrink-wrapped thanks to places like eBay. And used copies seem to float around even easier, so anyone who truly wants a copy can probably get one. Or thanks to modern technology and a severe defiance of copyright laws, anyone can download a copy from the internet. Even films like Song of the South that have never been released to home video in the USA are easily available, though illegally so. So sure, what once was special and is, is made less special if it's easy to access. I mean, if everyone drove a Cadillac, would they seem special at all? I guess we're back to that burger analogy again, and I guess this could easily turn into a rant about why having the same burger and fries you can get down the street at a world-class theme park doesn't actually help make that visit any more special. Now, if you have opinions about McDonald's in the Disney theme parks, leave those opinions in my voice mailbox at 206-3090-227. But I digress. Just because you watch a movie 100 times doesn't make that movie any worse. It may make the experience of watching it less of an experience, because you've seen it over and over again, but it may also create a lifelong fan with the film ingrained in your mind and heart as you go to spread your love for the film to friends and family and people who really wish you'd shut up about all the Disney stuff. But what if the movie was tarnished by a dilution of the brand? For instance, there was once a time when the name Disney immediately meant quality. You couldn't walk through your local value mart and find the Disney logo on pretty much any type of item you could think of. It was special. And if you think the Disney brand has been diluted by marketing it on everything from cereal to computers to toothbrushes, leave those thoughts on my voice mailbox at 206-3090-227. But I digress again. To get back on track somewhat and take one of the many forks down the road we started out on, I'd like to share with you one of the voicemails I received about something that really gets to many of us disgruntled Disney dweebs. Hey, Alan, this is another Disney dweeb, and I wanted to call in to say, why is it that Disney has made so many stupid Disney sequels in the last few years? Just to name a few, there are Pocahontas 2, The Little Mermaid 2, Lady and the Tramp 2, The Jungle Book 2, Mulan 2, Lilo and Stitch 2, Tarzan 2, and Bambi 2. 
Disney has made a lot of great movies, just to be ruined, in my opinion, by a crappy sequel. Do you have any theories on why they're doing this? Thanks, and great podcast. Bye-bye. Wow, now there's a thought out and researched voicemail, but I still think you may have missed a few dozen other part twos in there. The fact of the matter is, it's always about money. If people didn't buy these sequels, they'd soon stop making them. But just like those cheap burgers, if you make something cheap enough, you may not have to do nearly as much business for it to be successful. If Snow White 2 was released to the movie theaters today and it tanked, and then the video release also tanked, that would probably be the end of the Snow White sequels. But when you create something created by TV animation studios that cost a fraction of what a full-length theatrical feature might have cost, and you release it direct-to-video without the high cost of promotion and distribution, well, suddenly things start looking a whole lot more promising for Snow White 3. To be honest, as much as I hate the idea of cheaply made sequels, I can't argue how much sense this makes financially, in the short term. The real problem here is not the sequels to the classics, but the fact that the classics are being diluted. Snow White may be a favorite princess right now, but after she starred in ten films and everyone has grown bored with her, especially after several of them turn out to be real lousy turkeys, how many people are going to want to buy that Snow White breakfast cereal and toothbrush? Have you ever heard the saying about dropping a dollar while bending over to pick up a dime? Short-term gains are great for keeping today's stockholders happy and for keeping today's management employed, but sooner or later these short-term gains will turn into long-term problems. Just like a parent might have screamed anything but that after their toddler wanted to sing along with the Little Mermaid for the hundredth time, consumers are fickle. We change our taste in music, we change our taste in clothing, and we change our taste in films. Now sure, pirates are real trendy right now, but what happens after ten pirate movies come out during the same summer season? Some fast bucks will be made, sure, and the slices of the money pie will get smaller and smaller until Pirate Land, newly added at the Burger World theme park, finds that people just don't care as much about pirates as they did a few years ago. Look, folks, making sequels itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, even if it's a sequel to a classic. Sure, Walt Disney himself may not have done this since he was always wanting to try something new or to find the next big thing, but he also knew how to give people what they wanted, which included making successful series like Zorro or Davy Crockett. Each episode was a sequel in a way, allowing us to get more of a character we loved. Eventually, we fickle fans decided we're tired of coonskin caps and black capes, and we move on to the next big thing. So what would Walt do? Well, if he had a really, really, really good idea for a story involving sleepy, grumpy, dopey, sneezy, bashful, and Doc, we might have very well seen Snow White 2, Revenge of the Dwarfs. I've been told that Aladdin 3 was actually really funny, and I've heard that Bambi 2 was nice as well, but what about that Stitch thing? A high-quality follow-up might actually boost the popularity of a franchise, but a crappy one might help kill it. I'd personally love to see my favorite characters return for all new adventures, if those adventures are good, but when they aren't, and when they make my favorite characters look like washed-up has-beens, my elevated admiration for them may be destroyed. And then I might stop buying their breakfast cereals. So what do I think about sequels? Well, sometimes they make sense when it takes more than one film to tell a story, sure. But I also think sequels would never be necessary if a new, better idea can be thought of. But just think, we may never have had The Empire Strikes Back if George Lucas had done an even better non-related movie after Star Wars. And imagine James Bond in only one adventure. Sequels themselves are not the problem. Crappy sequels are.
and Disney has proven they can make crappy sequels just as good as the next studio, but unlike most studios, Disney has a library of highly respected films with high expectations to make follow-ups to. And frankly, I don't think I want to be the executive that risks his career on making a sequel to some animated classic that helps set the golden standard for story, artwork, and animation. It's tough enough trying to live up to the reputation of a big sibling or parent. Imagine trying to live up to one of Walt's creations. And please, for goodness sakes, can someone please disable the number two from the Disney script-writing word processors? I'd rather get stuck on It's a Small World than see another Disney movie released with the number two attached to the title. They can't even come up with a good name for a follow-up sequel film. How can we expect them to come up with a good movie? Your thoughts? Drop by anothercrappypodcast.com and let me know what you think. Audio feedback is especially appreciated. Until next time, this is Alan, and this is the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Call 206-3090-227. That's 206-3090-227. Another crappy podcast production.